Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. This episode was recorded live at the London Real Estate Forum held at London's Barbican Centre on Wednesday the 28th of September. As a live recording, the quality of audio may not be up to the usual standards you're used to from an EG Property Podcast, but I promise, for this one in particular, that the quality of content really is. Listen in to enjoy a conversation about retrofitting and regeneration that starts, bizarrely perhaps, with a bit of a chat about veganism. Thank you for joining us here at the EG Cities live session. My name's Sam McClary, I'm the editor at EG, but now time for the, for the live discussion. Um, title up there will give away a little bit of what we're, what we're going to be talking about. So the case for regeneration versus restoration. And I, I'm going to tweak it a little bit and steal um, from um, Ben Cross and a LinkedIn post of his and um, start talking about how um, retrofit or restoration is the new vegan. But there is more to life than veganism. I quite like a steak, um, for example. So, so um, hopefully today's discussion is going to be around it's never just one one or the other, there's always something for everyone, I hope, which we heard a little bit about in that film. But while we get into that discussion, I'm going to ask each of, of my guests to introduce themselves and tell us, I guess, where they sit on that. Are they vegan or are they carnivores? Are they uh, restoration or regeneration? And I'm going to start, of course, with Derek. Thank you very much. I've got a certain requirement for <laughs> my balanced diet. It's a balanced diet. Uh, yeah, my name is Derek Griffin. I head up the acquisitions team at Whitbread. We're responsible for delivering and growing the Premier Inn and Hub by Premier Inn brands across the United Kingdom. Um, we have been uh, on a long-term 30-year <coughs> growth program, which has certainly included all types of vegetables and meats over the years. And, um, uh, and so we'd like to think that uh, we have had some quite a bit of experience uh, of new, old, bits borrowed, all the rest of it. So, um, uh, you know, and I think we also are in quite a uniquely placed position as to where we sit in that we also not only operate and keep our, some of our buildings, but we develop them and forward fund them. And so we, we, we get a bit of taste of the whole menu. Omnivore. Thank you. Kate. Yes, uh, hello everybody, my name is Kate Woods. I'm an associate at DP9 and we are planning consultants. Uh, we predominantly work in London, so this is a great topic and it was really lovely to go and see the video of uh, some of our, our work on there as well. Um, I'm going to touch upon three parts from my point of view on this discussion. I suppose just thinking back to where we were pre-pandemic, thinking about the context, and you might have seen that there was a lot of local authorities in London saying, we are declaring a climate emergency. And I think that for me is kind of the starting point of this discussion, is that the seed was planted quite some time ago. And in that time, there has been a complete lack of strategic direction, I think, my personal opinion, from central government about how should we be developing buildings? What does the building of tomorrow look like? And what should government be doing in terms of strategic direction to help us deliver it? So I feel at the moment we're in this complete vacuum of strategic direction which brings me on to my second point which is that in that vacuum the private sector has come along and said we're going to come across with all these standards BRIAM, Neighbours, ESG I also put one down about 35% over Part L which uh, for me is kind of a big tick box 
when I'm putting together a planning application. And I think it's incredibly confusing. I'm going to put my hand up and say I don't quite understand what any of these things mean when we're talking about the regeneration versus restoration debate. They're, they're, uh, they're acronyms for us. Uh, it's our language. It's how we speak in the industry. So this then brings me on to my third and final point, which I think is kind of part of the issue here, is communication. It's incredibly difficult to go and communicate these concepts to people out there in the real world, people outside of our sector, outside of our little bubble. Because I fundamentally believe that you know, we should be making the case for restoration, regeneration across the whole of London. There are definitely buildings out there that should and be retained. But simultaneously, we should also be looking at you know, fundamentally regenerating you know, sites that need it. Um, so I think on that note, I will pass on to Ali. Thank you. Um, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Ali Abbas, and I'm the managing partner of Arts Invest Real Estate. We are an investor developer. And we, um, um, in, in terms of the exam question of regeneration and restoration, we like and do both. So we've got around 100 properties across a range of markets, sectors, and risk types. So our markets are um, essentially the main gateway cities of Germany and also uh, the UK. Since I set the business up uh, four years ago, we've pretty much focused on London for, for the time being, so we're, we're planning to uh, expand it beyond that. Our sectors are very much uh, um, offices, residential, uh, um, hotels and data centres. We are long on green offices. So we're very much positive in terms of the thesis for, for offices. And in terms of uh, um, risk type, we essentially buy opportunistic and core, so land and income and anything in between. So we've got a really good insight in terms of the opportunities and challenges of the pre-development, development stabilisation journey. So I'm hoping to share some insights with you today. I mean, as, as Catherine said, it is complicated. There's a lot of issues there. But from, from what we've learned uh, and our experience, I would say um, three things in terms of regeneration and restoration. You've got to bring everybody on the journey. And what I mean by that in terms of point one is really to triangulate both investors, occupiers, and the community. And what we're seeing in terms of the re-rating of ESG is that that has now become the principal investment criteria. So that alignment should be quite a bit more easier than it was in the past. Uh, um, I think the, um, the, th the second thing really is um, innovation. I think, uh, um, you know, stand still and die is what I would say in terms of, I, I slightly disagree with, with Savills in terms of um, rents in the grey space will remain stable. Um, I think they're going to come under down, downward pressure. Um, I did an opinion piece for, for the EG, and, and, and I kind of, even though I've got an abundance of it and there's quite a bit here, I go grey is old, <coughs> green is gold. And I talk about that more in terms, of, in terms of, of, of real estate. And the final thing really in terms of an insight is I think the ESG re-rating presents a huge opportunity. And I think, again, what I will agree with Savills on it, 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 it is obviously that, that we're just, there's just not enough space. So uh, there's, there's these extreme views of, uh, uh, um, you know, the shorting of the office sector. I ask myself, is the office sector going to go through the same as the shopping centre market, for example? And I think, you know, we're neither alarmist or naive. And, and, and I think, uh, um, you know, uh, the fundamentals are there. There is not enough green space and there's quite a lot of demand from occupiers. And it's what the, the community wants. So, again, expanding on that debate, um, we, we like a bit of both. Another one as well. like it. Uh, Chris. Uh, Chris Cummings, I'm a director in Savills Earth. The Earth is an important distinction because it means that we are the energy and sustainability consultancy part of Savills. Uh, that means we do contain vegans. 
it's, it's a great <laughs> analogy because you don't need to go and pick under the surface to find out who your friends are that are vegan. You know which ones of your friends are vegan. They have told you about it. Uh, they make you very much aware of it. And the, the parallels with the carbon agenda are very, very strong in that regard. Uh, the Earth bit is also good because it means I get to agree with Ali on things where actually the rest of Savills can fight with you, so <laughs> we, we, we should have some common ground today. Um, the topic on the board, it actually, I think it's more about a question of what is responsible development, and, and that includes redevelopment, that includes retrofit, that includes refurbishment. Um, I say everyone's being very loud and very noisy about vegans and being very noisy about carbon. That's because they have to be. Uh, it's new, it's nascent. The way you get to become part of the standard agenda is by making more noise than is really actually relevant. So you need to be a little bit militant, you need to protest, uh, you need to fight your case on that, but sustainable development is about sustainably, uh, environmentally, socially, and economically. Now, if you push too hard on any one of those, or you make that leg of your stool too big, in comparison to the, the detriment of the other two, the whole thing falls over. So it's really about taking a balanced approach to everything. Oh, God, I'm going to do this. It's like about, about a flexitarian diet um, <laughs> that, that, that goes across all those options to make sure you end up with a good nutritional balance in what you end up putting on the table. We're going to keep this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I'm going to leave you to chew on that and hand over. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all the food analogies. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, what, what food analogy can I work in? I'm really hungry. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm Will Seymour, uh, I'm a partner in the, uh, in the real estate department at Shoesmiths, we're a, uh, a full-service law firm um, and I, uh, I work across a sort of, sort of broad range of real estate, working for investors, uh, developers uh, and, and occupiers um, with a particular, sort of particular focus on uh, mixed use and residential redevelopment and regeneration. Um, it, I mean it's great, it's great to be here to discuss this today because I think the, the sort of built environment and, and the changing face of that is something that interests not just our industry, but also pretty much everyone outside of it as well. It's one of those areas where, where everyone, has, everyone tends to have pretty, pretty strong opinions. And I think right at the moment, we're at a real, you know, really important sort of point in, in, in time in terms of the sort of pressures that questions around the built environment are facing, you know, significant social pressures um, and significant environmental environmental pressures so I think it's it's the right time to be having this this sort of discussion uh, in terms of what I hope to sort of bring bring to that uh, as well as just sort of taking notes and reporting back um, uh, you know, I think hopefully I'll bring a perspective in terms of what the sort of changing face of legislation and policy can do towards that but also I think what its limits are um, and and I think also hopefully just bring a perspective in terms of you know, the, the views of, of the variety of people in our industry, whether it's the developers, whether it's the, the investors, or whether it's the end users of property, because I think they all have a voice in this, in this debate. Um, in terms of where I stand, I think, like, like everyone else, pretty much a, an omnivore. Um, the city is kind of, yeah, well, I know. <laughs> the city is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great place, because it's both one of the most forward-looking places in the world, but it's also steeped in, steeped in history, and, and certainly from... You know, from a social perspective, that's something that's very important to everyone within this, within this, this place. So, um, so I think one always has to have an eye on on reusing and and redeveloping existing stock. But at the same time, sometimes you know, innovation and new new buildings require something. It's always going to be a you know, something that that depends on a case by case basis. How, how about that for?
tent sitting. <laughs> uh, one size does not fit all, one size fits one, yeah. I, su I suppose. So let, let, let's start with, with that and this, um, this lack of strategic direction. And I wonder how, if there is no, no answer, really, there are a hundred different answers to this question. How do, we, how do we get strategic direction and whose responsibility is it? Kate, I'm going to throw that back to you because it's one of your points. Yeah, I kind of feel like I've had a very strong opinion about that. Um, I, I think strategic direction, I, I think the world in which I operate, we operate in planning, we spend a lot of time thinking about, well, you know, creating like the best buildings and we're going to benchmark it against different criteria. And I suppose the point that I was, you know, trying to, to put across earlier is that there's so many different ways of doing it and it, and it keeps changing, it'll keep evolving. And what we need is kind of, a, if it is that important on the agenda, if we're saying we are having a climate crisis, we really need to get, you know, government and, you know, with industry, with individuals, with people who are leading in this field to say, right, if you're going to be developing buildings in the future, this is what you need to be doing. You know, there's no kind of different standards being adopted. This is it. This is the framework. And, you know, as with legislation... You know, we, we, it adapts, it changes over time. It's not saying that it's static. And I don't think, you know, I don't think I'm sat here saying that it, it, it's just got to be one particular thing, but we need a framework in order to be able to go and deliver on kind of our net zero kind of agenda. You know, it's incredibly important that we do that. And whose who's responsibility is that? Ali, is that your responsibility as an investor developer or, or do you expect to be told what to do? No, I think we can... Um influence the, the, the debate. Obviously, clearly, uh, policies are set by uh, uh, policy makers and, and, and the government. And I'll use an example uh, such as um, at Canada Water, which is obviously uh, the scheme that we own within the wi you know, five acres within the wider British Land Master Plan uh, um, at Canada Water. And when you're doing regeneration, for example, and, and we're, we're all, where we are aligned on is that there's um, we're still working our way through, and it's uncertain. So I think you need to be flexible. Uh, um, and at Canada Water, there was a, a, a flexible programme in terms of the planning and the framework. There, you're right, Catherine, there is a framework, but whilst this is a, a, an evolving piece and there are issues that we don't know, you have to um, incorporate a degree of flexibility in policy. Otherwise, uh, um, you'll just go straight down a, a pathway and do diesel gates. Uh, you know, we all thought that was the, the answer, and now look at the reversal... Uh, from, from from there, so uh, um, I agree that, that there seems to be, uh, you know, and what what we want certainly um, in, in terms of um, what does capital wants, and it's really uh, it's really yearning for at the moment certainty, and it's not getting that from the broader policymakers. Uh, um, and, and then when you're looking to do good and, and regenerate and create outcomes, um, you need that certainty to do that. So I would just say certainly in terms of the regeneration pieces, where, where master plans are typically five, seven, twelve years. Uh, um, you can't be uh, too uh, uh, set in, in your views when you don't even know what the outcomes are. So I, I'd say there's a bit of uh, um, uh, flexibility there. And I did, uh, um, um, what I, uh, Canada Water, I noticed the tour that um, Alref have organised is, is, is oversubscribed and in fact fully booked. So if there's anybody here who obviously wants a, a, um, a specific tour from, from one landowner, we're, we're happy to kind of uh, set that up separately and, and, and obviously we're putting the red carpet down in front of BR because we own the front door of, 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 of Canada Water so I just thought I'd stick that Sneaky in there whilst I had the opportunity. There, Sorry, well, we're all opportunistic, we're developers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Derek, you sort of you straddle, I guess, the um, two sides of the the coin. The, you know, you can you look at this as an occupier, you can look at it as a as a developer. Do you see any certainty there? Are you grasping for it, or can you inform that certainty? Uh, well, I think there's uh, certainly a lack of strategic central government advice as to what we should be doing so you know in response to that you know the private sector uh, and various stakeholders uh, in it are kind of making their own way now obviously a byproduct of that is undoubtedly there's lots of anachronism anachronism I can't say the word uh, you know there's lots of things that we're meant to be looking to do and everybody is slightly different so it is uncertain but I think that you know the real agenda is being driven you know in the Whitbread perspective by our stakeholders so you know we have uh, requirements from our shareholders who are expecting us to be uh, forward-looking and meeting uh, Whitbed's commitments and contributing towards the green agenda but at the same time obviously wanting a return on their investment which is fair enough um, you know we have the operational business which is trying to fulfill the, the things that are set out by the company um, uh, uh, but at the same time trying to run a profitable business uh, and then obviously we, we, we don't just use our own money to do that, obviously we use the shareholders money but obviously when we are developing our sites, some of them, not all of them, but some of them we look to forward fund, so we have long term relationships with pension funds and certain people that hold Whitbed as a long term asset, which is very important. And obviously they are setting their own agendas and there are requirements that you know we are you know, we're probably more aware of things like our lease terms and other bits and pieces where we're doing a lease. Um, you know, we recently forward funding our, our hotel on, at, at Marlebone for a hub there. And, you know, it was a key part of that was understanding with the investor how we would adjust our lease to make sure that we at least move towards some of their requirements, but at the same time balancing the fact that we're going to be there for 25 years and that lease, at least trying to run a business. Uh, profitable business so there are lots of different stakeholders who are, are, are probably driving the thing more progressively than a central government at the moment mm. um, now in the long term I suspect that we hope that isn't sustainable we'd hope that we'd be a bit more focused and strategic and it will uh, help us be more efficient in what we're trying to do but we're just trying to do the best we can mm. Chris you talked about collaboration and I wonder if the um, um, the vegans of this world, the carbonistas, if that is a word, um, of this world, who who are loud stakeholders, are maybe driving too much of the the agenda. Or is, are they shouting too loudly towards re restoration when actually regeneration might be the the better, more sustainable route? I, I don't think they're shouting too loudly because I think, as I say, it's, it's a necessary part of the process to have that protest piece. By them shouting so loudly, what it's doing is it, it's, it's stretching the canvas that we all can actually write on. So it's dragging it much further over into the embodied carbon debate than it would be if they didn't make all that noise. Um, what has got to be recognised by the people that actually write on that and create the policies and the ways of delivering things in the space that happens in between those uh, points that are pulling against each other is that it, it's not the be-all and end-all. If, if they're saying retrofit only, I mean, that, that's too hard line and outlook. But retrofit first makes absolute sense. So when we come back to things that government can do and what local authorities can do in planning, by putting in place robust hierarchies for decision making, that you know you say yes, you absolutely can knock that down and start again. 
if you've shown me this, if you've then shown me this after that, and if you've shown me that after that, and that, that all those measures are the environmental, the social, the economic, the quality of the space, the well-being of the people that interact with it, what it does to the community if you change that use or you do something with it. All those hoops have to be put in a nice kind of rigid hierarchy. And you think of the cooling hierarchy and things. GLA doesn't ban you putting cooling in an apartment in London, but it makes you go through a, a hierarchy to get there. It's very simple steps to do. They just need to put those pieces in place so that actually it comes to a considered point. But in terms of the, the vegans being loud, I mean, I'm environmentalist of 25 years. I'm a card-carrying bunny you know, hugger. I'm, I'm right out there with them doing that. But that's because I know we need to do it. Uh, it'll settle down, we'll get it, we'll build into more policy, it will build into building regs and it will, that, that corner will quieten down because it will have been absorbed into the system. But it's a necessary noise at the moment. You should try hugging trees, they're not as fast as bunnies. Is <laughs> they're it, not, is they're it not as cuddly. Or as tasty. Will, there's um, putting um, more policy or hoops in place. It's a lawyer's dream, isn't it? Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> 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 Is that a way to, you know, should there be certain standards that every every development, every regeneration, every restoration needs to go through, or is that just going to slow things down when, you know, as Ali said and as um, we heard on the video, we need more space, we need more green space. Does this not just slow slow things down? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. There's, there's a sort of balance to be struck. Within a way, in terms of sort of policy and, and legislation, there are, there are blunt tools that you can use to, to encourage particular behaviours. Um, and I think the most obvious sort of blunt tool that's been used over the last sort of decade or so is e EPCs and, and the legislation around that, and the fact that that's been you know, the rules around those are now sort of tightening and tightening. You know, when that when that sort of originally came, when they originally came into play, they were they were sort of vague, they weren't particularly relevant. Whereas now, you look at the sort of impact that those are having on on building stock, um, and the fact that buildings are rapidly sort of approaching the sort of obsolete. To the obsolete level, um, you realise that that kind of that kind of tool is quite is quite effective, mm. but it's a very blunt one, and it's not really the sort of thing that's going to guide great great change and and sort of and really sort of change the direction of what people do in terms of planning and, and development. Um, but I don't think that I don't think lawmaking and, and government can do that. That has to that has to come from from the, the people within the, the market. That has to come. That has to be driven by occupiers and their requirements has to be driven by in investors and what their shareholders expect to see um, in, you know, in terms of responsibility. But what they need in, or in order to, to operate properly is, is a proper legislative framework. And I think that it's that bit at the moment where there's, where there's, detail, where there's detail lacking. Um, you, you can't be, from a legal perspective, you can't be prescriptive about how people build, but you can set out the, so I think as Chris, you suggested, the sort of, the steps and the rule book that you've got to go through. And if everyone knows what that is, then people can plan, and they can plan for the short term, and they can plan for the long term. I think that, that sort of uncertainty that there is at the moment is what causes, causes some of the issues. Thank you. Kate? No, no I mean, I don't have much more to go and add to that. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, I think what this kind of all comes down to is that people really want certainty. You know, developers want certainty. Our industry wants certainty about what um, you know, what are we delivering? Like, what, what kind of placemaking, you know, what kind of London do we want to live in? Um, and it's really important that we have this conversation now so that we can build in that certainty into the planning process. Thank you. A Ali, how do you communicate with those communities to understand what, what they, they want? You know, a big part of 
whether it's regeneration, restoration, is what the, what the people need, what the occupier needs, what the, what the place needs. Yeah. Um, well, we just um, um, are transparent. Um, we're, we're authentic as a private business uh, um, and how we operate. Uh, um, I, I put all my uh, principles and development leads uh, um, um, at the front end where um, they literally are engaging with key stakeholders and then there's no break of the chain where there would typically be a community engagement, uh, sustainability, there'll be, it would literally be the, the, the guy or girl that's delivering is, is following through. And that was an instrument to, uh, that was an operational piece that was key to our success. And obviously there's probably a few consultants in there and obviously Catherine's one of them who, who, who were instrumental in, in enabling us to achieve, you know, one of London's largest planning applications during the pandemic. Uh, uh, for a fairly complicated site, and, and, and obviously not least with, with the great support of, of, of Southwark. And, and um, we were quite blessed with the fact that uh, um, the community were really supportive, and that was because we just got involved with the community, um, we committed to delivering things, and, uh, um, and, and just really tried to uh, deliver. Because I think that there's a point around, uh, um, you can end up being too ideological. And, and, and if you do that, then you're not going to deliver. And what is the purpose of what we are seeking to do, which is to deliver uh, the, the collective outcomes, to try and do good, and that will be a, a range of what ESG uh, um, um, is. And, and I think that's really how we approach things in terms of just trying to uh, um, maintain trust and, and, and deliver and, and, and acting on that. And, and, uh, um, but the key for me was really the authenticity and, 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 our, and our connection with the community through a single point uh, um, um, of engagement rather than a break in the chain uh, um, where sometimes you can get a bit of uh, 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 you know, a loss of trust. And, uh, and Derek, to your point as about, you know, there's still, you still got to make some money out, out, of, out of this. So the talking to the community, asking what they want has got to balance with well, what, what a business needs to, to make money. And how does, the, how does this argument sit within, within that? Well, it depends where you are. Um, you know, these conversations, obviously, with ha the benefit of having, uh, you know, a, a large portfolio across the country and lots of different projects, you get to meet lots of different people, lots of different communities, uh, lots of different priorities. Um, uh, so that's quite interesting. I think one of the benefits, you know, one of the benefits of Whitbread have had is this a long-term development pipeline, which has meant we can get some kind of stability in terms of the consultant groups that we put together uh, uh, and the people internally that, so that they can uh, kind of develop this level of expertise and knowledge and understanding of what's likely to come through both in terms of the comms but also the, what the commun community might want out of uh, something, what the social benefits or otherwise are of uh, our hotels. We've done a lot of work to try and understand the uh, the 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 full picture because uh, obviously you can go into certain locations and try and do something and you're on the back foot immediately so you, you've got to prepare and I think you know we're fortunate in that we've got some those long-term relationships we're not starting from scratch on each project you know we're building up a wealth of experience and that clearly obviously I, I mean there is the rest of the country as well but is accentuated in London some of those the, the, the London boroughs central London boroughs you know, you are constantly trying to build those relationships to try and respond to what the, the people want and how, how their representatives see that, um, which is equally important. So, um, so you know, it's about long-term stability on our side to maximise our output, I think. Thank you. I'm glad you've mentioned what people want and the word social benefit, because I think when we think about 
um, buildings, actually this conversation isn't about the bricks and mortar, is it? It's about what the buildings mean. And some, as we talked about, some need to be knocked down because we don't want to see them anymore and they have, they have no heart to them. But other buildings need to be retained because they are the heart of, of somewhere. And Chris, I know when we've talked before, we've talked about the community pub. And for you, how, how important is that social use of a building in this argument, for want of a better word, between should we knock it down or should we retain it? Well, I think when all the, uh, the, the vegans that are shouting about body carbon have quietened down, the next noisiest part will be the social, because it's, it's always been bubbling away as a big piece. I think things like you know, Mies is a, is a great driver, uh, it, but if you start to lose pieces of your high street and your community because of their EPC rating, then something's gone very, very wrong indeed. So actually, how you start to um, recognise existing buildings, you know, if you've got heritage high streets where they're part of the community that are going to be difficult to decarbonise, but they're in densely populated locations where you've got excellent transport links, you're reducing the carbon from that, you've got a great carbon story about embodied carbon being retained, you're not going to be able to get those to the same energy performance in terms of efficiency as you can with a new build. You can decarbonise it by switching to electricity and help helping to enable the grid, but you're always going to have to give them some kind of exception and some way of preserving those rather than just having, yeah, there's not going to be a childcare centre here anymore and the bingo hall's gone and there's the job centre's gone because they all had EPCs of a D and they ripped out the community. And so, so we put them out in this kind of uh, brownfield site that we've developed on the edge of town. You will have to travel out there for it now because that's got an EPC of an A. Um, we need to be mindful of that and how that, what that metric looks like and how that comes to the fore, I don't know yet, but it's definitely going to have to come because otherwise if we, you know, all these years as an environmentalist, if we just keep focusing on what I do, it's going to rip it out. You don't want to be just driving to energy efficiency without, because you'll, you'll let that social economic piece tumble away again. So it's going to have to come as a recognised, but yeah, that'll be the next big militant crowd that are stretching the, uh, stretching the conversation over there. The, ne the new vegans. The new vegans. Um, we have... Amazingly, only two and a half minutes left, and I don't want to hog all of the questions. I can, um, of course, but if there are any out there, please do raise a hand. There's a gentleman right here. Uh, just here in the... Um, I'm not sure if I missed it, but have you talked about character and collage and the idea of old and new working with something that's existing being more interesting, more enlivening? Um, minestrone soup, flavour, etc. <laughs> no, I, mean, I think that um, we have quite a few examples where we've, uh, where we've tried to develop our projects in quite uh, interesting ways. That the, the one site that was mentioned in the video was the Snow Hill Police Station, which will be is interesting. because obviously the, the the listed bit at the front is has a lot of character, a lot of flavour, uh, but actually in modern terms really is pretty, not very efficient to use. I don't know what its EPC rating is, I suspect shocking. Um, but that, w we're adapting some of that, retaining it, but the back where all the prison cells were, which were, you know, some people really liked, but ultimately um, uh, they're no use to us as a hotel. So that's all, will all be brand new at the back with a glazed atrium. So it, it, it's trying to link trying to per use that, it will be a fascinating entrance to that and give character to that branded <coughs> budget hotel, but it will give it some kind of flavour and feeling, which is different. So, uh, you know, that's not unique. You, you, you quite often have to, uh, you know, we did the general lying in hospital many years ago, which I know won a boo-boo prize for architecture, the modern bit, but we were only the tenants on that one. 
Chris? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add that. That is one area that you've highlighted there that planning really does play a major important part because about ensuring that that mix and that tapestry are there weaved together is where it needs to go is to a bigger piece and that's what the local authority should be doing and that, that's where planning plays a really important part in town planning to make sure you've got a mixed grill with salad actually presented rather than someone's <laughs> just ripped the whole part out and gone for quinoa everywhere. So I think that's where that bigger piece comes back into it. We have 30 seconds. One more question if anyone has one right here. Can we get a mic to the middle of the stairs? Thank you very much. Um, I just wanted to ask, at feasibility stage, what kind of factors would influence your decision rather if, if you had a site and um, if you would regenerate it or restore it? Ali? I think it's really what is on, uh, uh, on the site and, and, and what is the best outcome for uh, um, you know, the, the, the development. And, and, and I, th I think it's really the question around these two polarised positions of... Uh, you know, a green car versus a diesel car, and hybrids work. And, 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 and so it really is, uh, um, you know, what is there and, and what are you doing to contribute? And, and, and actually, uh, because I look at it as a, a building is a skeleton, and then really it's, in, it, you know, it's permeability with the community is really the heart, the lungs, the blood, uh, and everything else. So I think it's really, uh, you've got to judge each, each scheme by its own merit and, 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 and its own fundamentals and, and do the right thing. And, and uh, so... As I said, we do both, but we do um, the stuff in the, in, in the middle, the time down. Yeah, yeah I, that. <laughs> I always go over it. It's all right. Um, I'll get told off. I can take it. Um, I think we started there with food and we finished with biology. And actually, we're talking about buildings, which is, which is great, which is just a real showcase of um, there is so much in this industry and so many different, different parts. And it's a, it's a real menu that we need to be able to, to provide, not just one or the other. This conversation could go on forever, and I'm sure... It will. Um, please do keep talking about um, our wonderful built environment and, and the different solutions there are for um, bringing buildings and places to life. This was just a little part of that. But please join me in thanking our wonderful panel, uh, Derek, Kate, Ali. <laughs>